Hello, everyone, and welcome to And Let's Be Heard for Monday, May 2nd, 2022. I'm Mike Cachopoli. Honoring is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So, disinformation's origins are slightly less atrocious. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. It's how you hide a little, hide a little lie. When Rudy Giuliani shared bad intel from Ukraine, or when TikTok influencers say COVID can cause pain, they're laundering disinfo when we really should take note and not support their lies with our wallet, voice, or vote. Oh, information laundering is really quite ferocious. It's when a huckster takes some lies and makes them sound precocious by saying them in Congress or a mainstream outlet. So yes, information's origin seems likely less atrocious. <laughs> I'm sure you've heard that before. That was like the full 45 seconds. The full 45 seconds of absolute, absolute torture. Fingernails screeching across the blackboard. Nina Jankowitz is the name of that uh, individual who has been tapped to be Joe Biden's Ministry of Truth. The Ministry of Truth says you are lying. I think I'll do the voice. That's a pretty good voice, right? Let's do that. Maybe I'll I'll apply to do the voice. And that's what you hear just before they come crashing through your windows or knocking down your doors. Because they have Nina Jankowitz. Nina Jankowitz, this wannabe uh, Broadway idol... Um, is the Ministry of Truth. And she decided that you said something that wasn't true. That wasn't true. If you could listen to that in slow motion, she's doing it in the fast, staccato, Mary Poppins way. I thought it was great that the Post had their, their, their headline, uh, their cover, Scary Poppins, because that's what she is. She's Scary Poppins. Um, but if you slow that down, what she's saying is stuff like people who said COVID wasn't dangerous are lying. Well, now she's lying because I don't remember anyone saying COVID wasn't dangerous. I remember people saying the numbers of death were overblown. And then about a year later, they dropped them by 25%. Many believe by the time all said and done, they'll drop those numbers of the dead by 50% because it's with COVID, not of COVID. Um, I remember people saying that masks didn't stop the spread. And, of course, we now know masks didn't stop the spread. I remember people saying that the vaccines wouldn't stop the spread. Now we know the vaccines didn't stop the spread. So I'm not exactly sure what she's talking about. I'm not sure that the Ministry of Truth seems to be lying. What happens when the Ministry of Truth lies? Does something happen to the Ministry of Truth? When the Ministry of Truth lies, what happens to her? But this is, the, this is the times we're living in. We can make fun of that song, and it's ridiculous. There's also another. I'm not going to play it. There's another her doing some stand-up at some, uh, at some club in New York where she's uh, pretending to be Barbara Streisand. So she's obviously, you know, one of these uh, shit-lib uh, Broadway types um, who were part of, of Broadway shutting down for a year and a half and actors losing their jobs and actors not being able to support themselves and actors not being able to get health care because they weren't working and so on and so forth. Um, but she's obviously one of those, you know, Hollywood-loving New York shit-libs who is now going to be telling everyone who's not a shit-lib that they're lying and they should be censored and deleted and canceled. And... We're, we're living in a time where we're actually talking about this. 
this is not like a, a science fiction show. I'm not doing a science fiction podcast. I'm not. I'm not. I'm not doing a a fantasy podcast. I'm not doing a podcast based on fantasy or science fiction or. It, it, I'm just. I'm. I, I don't have words. How 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 bizarre this is. How bizarre this is that we're even, we're even talking about a ministry of truth, and they're calling it at the ministry of disinformation, minister of disinformation. And they're not embarrassed. They're not ashamed. They're not embarrassed that this individual, this thing, is the one who's going to be running it. That there's no embarrassment there. And believe me, believe me, when when the when fascism comes, it doesn't come uh, in like uh, you know. Uh, in dark uniforms with 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 hoods and masks it comes like this this is the way fascism comes wrapped in this little broadway baby who's going to be telling the rest of us what's true and what's not now they're trying to backtrack alejandro mayorkas is backtracking um alejandro mayorkas is saying there will not be any us citizens targeted there will be no U.S. citizen speech is not going to be part of this thing. It's going to be disinformation from abroad. But we've heard that before, haven't we? We've heard that before. We've heard that before with the Patriot Act, with surveillance, all that stuff. Where they said, oh, no, it's not going to target American citizens, just, just people abroad who want to influence our elections because we don't do that to other countries at all. Never have, never have. But, of course, we know it's bullshit. Why all of a sudden do we need this? Now, here's the question. Now, this is, once again, Mike plays what if. Let's play the what if game. What if, what if Donald Trump had uh, developed this ministry of truth? What if Donald Trump had started the ministry of truth? Do you think the Democrats would be on board the way they are now? Or would they be calling him a... Why am I even saying, of course they'd be calling him a fascist. Of course they'd be calling him a wannabe dictator. They'd say, you see, Trump loves dictatorships. He's always wanted to be a dictator. And now he's starting the Ministry of Truth because he's a dictator. And he'll decide when we're lying and when we're telling it. Come on. Come on. Actually, I believe it was uh, Pete Hegseth or someone on Fox who looked forward into the future and said, what happens if Donald Trump has this Ministry of Truth and appoints his people to it? What will happen then when, it, when he... When he <laughs> When he adopts this ministry of truth that Biden is starting, and he changes the people, he puts in his own people. Is there not going to be? Is there, is there not going to be ridicule of the people he puts in there? Is there, is there not going to be any people on MSNBC or CNN criticizing the person he decides to put in charge? All of a sudden, they'll hate the ministry of truth, don't they? How dumb are they? Don't they realize this? This old fool Biden is on his way out of uh, of many things. He's going to be there forever? Well, who's the next president? Kamala Harris? Pete Buttigieg? How stupid are they? Now, someone like Ron DeSantis will come in and get rid of this. And Trump probably would also. But DeSantis would definitely eliminate this. So either way, what, what are they looking to do? Have control? This is what, this is what they do. <clears throat> they want to have control for as long as they can. While they're in office, until they're kicked out of office, or until courts tell them that they've been breaking the law all along. They don't care. This is what we see from the Biden administration over and over again for the last year and a half. From Democrats for the last two and a half years. We've seen this. They do it as long as they can get away with it. 
until the next election, until the next court, whatever. They don't care about law. They don't care about the Constitution. They want to break the Constitution as long as they can. They want to defy the Constitution until they're told they can't anymore. But what they don't understand is the Constitution tells them now that they can't. This document wasn't written last week. It tells them now that they can't do it. So they're breaking the law. They're criminals. It's criminal behavior. It's absolute criminal behavior. That's why I've said elections don't, it's not enough. You've got to put the people in jail. You've got to put them in jail. They can't just say, oh, we're going we're gonna to go canvas against you. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna go out there and canvas and we're going we're gonna to vote. And we're gonna, no, you've got to put them in jail. These are criminals. They're breaking the law. They know what the law is. They know what the Constitution is. These people have read the Constitution a million times over. And Tulsi Gabbard said, and I, I, I believe 100%, this comes from Mr. Constitution, the constitutional scholar himself, Barack Obama. He's the one who's been talking about this over the last month. Got to stop disinformation. Disinformation, not good. Got to stop disinformation. He's been talking about it. So this is probably his friend. They probably met at a Broadway show with Michelle. This, is, this, this smells of Obama. This reeks of Obama. Mr. Constitutional Scholar himself doesn't give a fuck about the Constitution. What does he care about the Constitution? Tulsi is 100% right. Biden is a puppet. He's in Never Never Land. Unless they're giving him something, like at, the, at that uh, correspondence dinner. I'll talk about that for a couple of minutes. But at the correspondence dinner, they gave him something because he was on for like seven and a half minutes. In order for him to be on like that for seven and a half minutes, they had to give him something. It was some kind of a short-term pill or shot that made him aware for seven and a half minutes. So, but for the most time, he's in, you know, Never Never Land, taking orders from, from uh, Easter bunnies, turning around, shaking people's hands who don't exist, wondering where people are for five minutes before he finds them two feet away. I mean, this is where Joe Biden is. So this is not Joe Biden's thing. This is Barack Obama's thing. I'm sure Obama called, not even him. Why would Obama bother calling him? He probably called Ron Klain and said, Ron, I know this Nina Jankowitz. We met at Hamilton a few years back. And she is the, she's a, how, how do you get to be a, a expert of disinformation? I am an expert of disinformation. How do you become an expert of disinformation? By taking Broadway musical classes for four years in college? How do, you, how do you do it? I want to know how it's done. Reeks of Obama. Absolutely 100% him. You thought Joe Biden was president? No, no. This is absolutely Obama's third term. This really proves it now. People have been saying it for a year and a half. But this, right here, this proves this is Obama's third administration. Joe Biden is just an empty old bag of bones who's the front man for this. Because they couldn't find a better one, I guess. Or as bad as Bernie has become and is, wouldn't do what they wanted. Wouldn't be their front man. Even he's not that awful. It's just frightening. The whole thing is so frightening. And like I said, we do make fun of it. 
you know, we'll, the Babylon Bee will make fun of it. We make fun of it. And we make fun of her and her stupid singing. But it's really frightening and scary and dangerous. It truly is. It truly is. The fact that they could think of even doing this, the fact that he can, they can prevent, present something like this, shows how frightening things are. And how the consequences of defying the Constitution aren't great enough. They're not afraid to do it. They should be afraid to do it. Yes, there are certain things we should be afraid of in this country. And defying the Constitution and breaking the laws, breaking the, 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 the laws of the United States Constitution, we should be afraid of doing that. But people are not. These people in power are not. They will get away with it for as long as they can. And believe me, of course, this is also Obama's idea because of Elon Musk buying Twitter. Once Elon Musk bought Twitter, then Obama started coming out and talking more about this, and now this develops. So that's the chain of events. That, that's your timeline there. And it all happened within a couple of weeks. You know, they said, oh, this guy wants freedom of speech. This guy doesn't want this to be a democratic playground for democratic narrative, democratic shit-lib narrative. He's going to make it fair and equal and balanced and, and free speech is going to rule and we can't have that. What did, what did Nina Jankowicz say? What was her term? Oh, yes. Free speech absolutists are dangerous or something like that. She says it right there. She doesn't like free speech. She's against the First Amendment. She's against the First Amendment. The founding fathers were free speech absolutists, you imbecile. You imbecile. They were free speech absolutes. That's why the first, you see, freedom of speech is the First Amendment, not the 18th Amendment. The First Amendment. That's the first thing that was on their minds. Freedom of speech. Absolutely. Absolutely, honey. So these people are so dangerous that they need to be behind bars. They should be behind bars, just like criminals, so they can't hurt us, so they can't hurt the rest of us. They can't hurt society. Isn't that menace to society? Isn't that what they say criminals are, a menace to society, so we have to put them behind bars? These people are a menace to society. They need to be behind bars. She could sing Broadway tunes in the mess hall, in jail, get on top of the table. Very dangerous. And I'm not kidding. And I'm not being hyperbolic. I, I'm very serious. These people need to be locked up. Lock, yeah, lock her up. Definitely lock Jankowitz up. No doubt about it. Dangerous individuals to the fabric of society, to everything this country is founded on. We had brilliant founding fathers putting their lives on the line. And writing the U.S. Constitution for a floozy like this to come around, this floozy to come around and destroy it? Yeah, I don't think so. I don't think so. Yeah, that correspondence dinner, this is going to be ongoing, this thing about this Ministry of Truth. So we don't have to do more than spend the first half of this first show of the week talking about it. But we'll talk about it more. And I'll have someone on, hopefully during the week, where we can discuss this. Maybe I'm missing something. I don't really miss much of anything, but maybe I'm missing something here. We'll see. 
But the uh, the White House Correspondents' Dinner is always interesting. I watched it and I laughed. I mean, I think I have mixed feelings about the, the White House Correspondents. I know some people say it's like elitist, it's mucking it up, and journalists should not get... Look, on a, on a much smaller level, let me talk about myself. <laughs> let me talk about my favorite subject. No, so on a smaller level, you know, I used to cover uh, uh, junior hockey. Well, it actually, I started out in, in WBC Radio before I, I, I did film reviews and stuff. I, I started out as an intern uh, covering the, the Yankees, pre- and post-game for the Yankees shows. So I would be – I was only 18. I was going to Yankee Stadium. It was like a, an incredible dream going to Yankee Stadium. My favorite team was an 18-year-old, and I was, you know, helping the, the, the man, the guy who did the pre- and post-game show at the time, Steve Malsberg. And we would uh, – I would help him get interviews and, you know – He'd let me pretty much do a lot of my own stuff. I would interview the manager at the time. I'd interview players, blah, blah, blah. And then later on in life, I, I, I covered a, a, a junior hockey team up in Seattle. And I always felt that the job, my job, was to be adversarial to the team, not buddy-buddy with the team. Now, things happen in life, right? You become friends with people. You, you obviously... You know, people say, oh, there are homers who call these games and, you know, this is, why can't they be fair? Well, it's tough. When you're covering a team and you're getting involved, you become emotionally connected sometimes. And so that, that's natural to happen. But you should always remember you're not on the team. You're not part of the team. You're someone, you're a journalist covering that team. So you should really be as adversarial as possible, even if you have to go over the top, which I always believed I, I did from time to time because you have to ask the tough questions. You must. That's part of it. Otherwise, it's pointless. You, why have the job? Why do it? And the same, the same thing applies to politics, even more so. It's even more important. It's even more important. I don't mind so much when you get play-by-play guys and, and you know, Phil Rizzuto, come on, he was a Yankee, or someone who's covered the Yankees, like, who, who, who's there, John Sterling on the radio, you know, or, or, or you know, Crook and Kai here in, in San Francisco, and you're covering a team for decades, you can get a little emotionally involved and root for them. I have no problem with that. It's a sport. It's fun. It's not that serious. When you're talking about politics, it's becoming more and more, that's much more serious, much more serious. So the press should be adversarial to the politicians, to the, to the leaders, to those elected officials, city administration, not buddy-buddy. And some people don't like this correspondence dinner because it's one night a year where they're just hobnobbing. And people think, well, are they all really just on the same team in the end? Are they all really just – now, look, obviously, the question is for 90 percent of them, yes. Yes. Most of the people at CNN, MSNBC, MSNBC are on the Democrat team. They're on Team Biden. That's why they don't ask tough questions. That's why they ask questions like, do you like chocolate or vanilla? That's why. That's the problem. And it's the same problem if you're working at Fox and you're buddy-buddy with Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis. You should not be. Now, yes, once again, everyone has their personal bias. Everyone in this country leans one way or the other or has certain beliefs that lean one way or the other. There's no real moderate, independent, or centrist. Come on, stop. All right? There's no neutrality. Come on, you know, a car stuck in neutral goes nowhere. So everyone leans one way or the other. But when you're a professional, especially if you're doing something for a while, you should have the discipline to be adversarial. You have the discipline to do your job no matter which way you lean. You should. And so people have this problem with this correspondence dinner. 
I, I, I'm of two minds. I'm thinking, okay, you could be adversarial 364 days of the year, and this one night for a couple of hours, you could have a dinner and laugh at other people and yourself and then part ways and go back to being adversarial again. I don't think one dinner per year is that big of a deal if, here's the big caveat, if the people at that dinner were adversarial the rest of the year, but they're not. You see, I can do that. I could be adversarial the rest of the year and have one night where I'm friendly and we laugh. I could absolutely do that. And the next day go right back to the way it was before. But these people can't do that. So the fact – I'm not offended that they have fun one night a year. I'm offended that they're buddy-buddy all year long. That's the problem. That's the problem. That what you see at a correspondence dinner is the way 90% of those people are all year long. They're friends. They're buddies. They're not adversarial. That's why people liked Acosta, was Jim Acosta, during the Trump administration, right? Because he asked Trump tough questions. But Jim Acosta is a Democrat, obviously. And so he had no problem being adversarial with Trump. Peter Ducey, I don't – look, I don't know enough – I have to admit, I didn't watch Fox much during the Trump administration. I, re- I, I watched – Fox for the last year of the Trump administration. So the last couple of years I have. So I don't – I might be misspeaking about Peter Ducey. He might ask everyone tough questions. I don't know. He's also young. He hasn't been doing it that long. But Peter Ducey obviously leans right. He's on Fox. So he has no problem being adversarial with the Biden administration. But what we need is everybody to be adversarial all the time, regardless of their political point of view or the administration, which is why people appreciate Acosta if they were Democrats, and people appreciate Ducey if they're Republicans. But we need it all the time. Now Costa is sucking up. He doesn't ask tough questions anymore. So, you see, it was all just about his personal preference. It wasn't about him doing his job. If he did his job, he continued to do his job. But we don't have people like that anymore. We don't have them. I want to see Peter Ducey when DeSantis is president. That's what I want to see. Then we'll see how good he is. I I don't think he'll be as tough. I don't think he'll be as adversarial. It's a problem. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. But right now, I can tell you he's the only one that asks tough questions. He's the only one who's adversarial. So the White House thing, the correspondence dinner, like I said, if journalists were journalists the way they used to be 50, 60 years ago, I have no problem with this at all. You know, Biden, they gave him a pill or a shot and he was – for seven and a half minutes, he was – by the way, the problem is though Biden's delivery was better than Trevor Noah. Trevor Noah, who I actually can't stand. I I can't stand anything about him. But his delivery is horrible. The writing was pretty good. But Biden's delivery, I have to give him credit, was better. His delivery of of the lines, of the jokes were better. The problem – with Trevor Noah, is maybe he was nervous, but he was going too fast. He wasn't letting the joke land. He was going one joke into the other, one joke into the other. And it was like a you know, stream of consciousness of jokes, and you had to think, oh, well, that was funny. And by the time you think it's funny, it's on to the next one. Biden was at least letting the joke land. Maybe he learned that from Obama. I don't know, but he, he let the joke land, then went on to the next thing. And Trevor Noah, a professional comedian, didn't do that. 
So it's almost like the good writing went to waste with Trevor Noah because his delivery was so bad. I mean, they should have had – why don't they have someone like Ricky – God forbid, right? They'd have Ricky Gervais. No, that would be too tough, right? That would be too much of a, of a deep roast. But wouldn't he be great, Ricky Gervais? How about even, even Bill Maher knows how to land jokes. Have Bill Maher. I mean, I, it was just incredible. You know, but why did they pick Trevor Noah? Yeah, I wonder. Okay. Um, I don't want to be too cynical, do I? But anyway, uh, you know, Bill Maher, Ricky Gervais would have been much better. And like I said, it was it was okay. I mean, it was fine. You know, it was fine. Biden, you know, I, th- I thought his jokes about the plague and Trump and COVID, I thought that was funny. Um, you know, I thought his, you know, jokes about you're, you're, you're the only group that has a low approval rate. I thought it was funny. 42% that clap. But these, these are pretty good jokes. I mean, they were pretty decent jokes. But the problem is that the, the, the president had better delivery than the comedian. Shouldn't be, should be the other way around, shouldn't it? You know, so that's the, I don't want to talk about it too long. I don't think it's that big of a deal, you know. Uh, I forgot why Trump didn't go. I, I totally forgot why Trump didn't go. I mean, I don't, I don't know. He didn't want people to make fun of him. He couldn't take it. I don't know. That's what some people on the left would say. Uh, I don't know. I, I think, you know, I, I think if this goes on forever, it's great. If it ends and never happens again, it's fine also. I don't know if I really missed it over the last few years, you know. And how stupid, though. How stupid. It's a, it's a White House correspondent. So it's, a, it's supposed to be journalists who cover the White House. And what's a Pete Davidson? What is this shit? Why is all these celebrities there? I don't get it. I don't get it. It's supposed to be the... White House correspondents, not Hollywood, not Saturday Night Live cast. These, these, it should be specifically the people who cover the White House. That's it. That's the whole. That's the whole purpose of it. It wasn't developed so so Hollywood can come in and crash it, and that's basically what's happened lately. There's some people who have to just show up, right? They have to. The ego is so big they have to show up everywhere. They have to show their faces everywhere. You know, so anyway, that annoyed me. Okay, so that's the end of the, the White House Correspondents' Dinner Talk. We got through that. We did the, the Ministry of uh, Disinformation. You know, it, it, it's, it's amazing that we're in a time right now where we simply can't just follow the Constitution. Now, if we had done that, we wouldn't have had all those COVID mandates, right? Because all those COVID mandates were, were not constitutional, which is why when they go to court, they lose. That's when they go to court, like, like with, with the OSHA thing, they lose because it's not constitutional. Um, we can't, if we just followed the Constitution, if we just followed that document that the brilliant founding, visionary founding fathers wrote, we'd be much better off. We'd be much, much better off. But we don't. Or at least the Democrats don't. Which is why we know in November... They must be annihilated. There must be a complete turnover, a complete turnaround. And then hearings up the wazoo on everything. Make, make that Fauci's new job, having to testify. That's, that's what I'd like to see. That's what I, I want to see. But we can only do that if we have a complete turnaround in November. We have to have a, a total, a total complete turnaround in November.
Elon, oh, what I wanted to get to, which is a little bit late here, but we'll, I'll talk more about it, is, is AOC and Elon Musk. And Elon Musk, and AOC, of course, of course, going after Elon Musk because she doesn't care for freedom of speech. She doesn't believe in freedom of speech. She wants Twitter to be the Democrat playground uh, where they can censor everyone who doesn't have the, the uh, Democrat point of view, the, the Democrat narrative. Uh, so she said something to Elon Musk that was negative. She didn't, she didn't say his name, but she said something about him, about what he's doing. And, you know, and, he, and he said, you know, stop coming on to me. I'm shy, which was hilarious because we know that AOC said anyone who criticizes her wants to get in her pants. So Elon Musk was just playing on that. And then she comes back and she says something like, oh, I was talking about Mark Zuckerberg, whatever. You know. um, but the fact of the matter is that I think what we're seeing from Elon Musk is he has a great sense of humor. He has a real good sense of humor. He's really, he's really tuned in to the now, to what's happening. He, he knows exactly what's going on. He says something like liberals. It was a brilliant comment. He said liberals hate everyone, including themselves. No sense of humor. And he's right. They have no sense of humor. They're miserable people. All they can do is talk about race and and uh, homophobia. Everything is homophobic. Everything is racist to them. Everything is dark. Everything is bleak. COVID is never ending. You can't make fun of anybody. You can't have fun anymore. Another thing I'll talk about is Bill Murray. Because Bill Murray had has done something where he did something on the set and the set shut down. Obviously something that wouldn't have happened even 10 years ago or 20 years ago, but it's happening now. And I, I'll get more into that and my take on, on the Bill Murray thing. And whether it does come under the heading of, of cancel culture and wokeness or not, I'm not quite sure. But yeah, I think we're seeing from Elon Musk is that he's really in tune with what's happening now. You see, he understands the game. And I think a lot of Democrats really, really are afraid of that. And that's why they're going after him. But that's the 30 minutes. Wow, the show went fast. The show went fast. Anyway, you have been listening to And Let's Be Heard. I'm Mike Cachopoli. It was a scintillating Monday show, beginning of the week, beginning of a new month of shows, the month of May. Thanks for listening. And remember, always remember, vote Democrats out of office. Vote them out now. Speak to you tomorrow.